I'm Nathan Amy, and today you'll hear my story on San Francisco people. Hey everyone, this is Frank Garza, and welcome to San Francisco People. Now, I want you to imagine your normal workout at the gym. You know, imagine you're inside the gym doing your normal thing. Um, Maybe you're taking some kind of a circuit class, or maybe you're doing squats and working on legs that day. Or maybe you like to do the rowing machine or something like that. Whatever it is, imagine that scenario inside the gym. Now, imagine taking that exact same scenario outside. And better yet, imagine you take that exact gym scenario and you set it down right next to a beach near Chrissy Field. And you're doing your work out there as the sun is setting over the Golden Gate Bridge and there's this light breeze off the bay blowing through your hair. I want you to imagine that because I did that very thing last week. And Nathan Amy is the person that made that possible. And he's our guest on the show today. Now, Nathan has created a mobile gym through his company, Kokoda. And you've probably seen him actually. For those of you that do runs or walks down to Chrissy Field, you'll see Nathan and his fitness truck parked right there at East Beach. So Nathan has this large box truck filled with fitness equipment and he drives it down to um, East Beach in the mornings and the evenings. He parks it there. There's this nice grassy area uh, right next to his truck. He unloads the fitness equipment from his truck all over this, this small grassy area here and essentially sets up a gym right there only 50 yards from the beach with a beautiful view of the Bay and Golden Gate Bridge right behind it. And he puts on one hour fitness classes. And they're usually some kind of a circuit class with anywhere from six to 12 people. So I did that class last week and we're gonna talk more about that on the show. Um, Nathan also takes his, can take his truck to the parking lot right outside your office and do a workout during your lunch break. He does that a couple times a week as well. So he has a really interesting company through Kokoda and we're going to talk about his journey um, all the way to coming up with the idea to Kokoda, how we started it up and how the business is going today. And you're going to learn pretty quickly. Nathan has a really interesting journey. The guy, he's a badass. I mean, he is a legitimate badass. He grew up in the Australian outback. At the young age of 17, he joined the Australian army. When he got out of the army, he worked in the private security sector in Kabul, Afghanistan. And while he was there, he went to a barbecue one day. He fell in love, and that's ultimately what brought him to San Francisco. So let's go talk to Nathan and hear about his journey. place uh, in the Northern Territory, a little town called Alice Springs. 
Um, so when I speak to people and they ask where that is, I always say that if you uh, grab a picture of Australia and put a thumbtack right in the center, that's pretty much where Alice Springs is. So okay. as far from the ocean as possible. I think I've heard of Alice Springs. Is it in terms of like the middle of Australia? Is it a sizable town? Uh, how, how many people live there? Yeah, I think the population uh, is around about 25,000, 30,000 people. Okay, so um, it's, so it's classed as a town, not a city. It's really small. Um, but it's kind of the gateway through the centre of Australia. If you're going to travel down from Darwin in the north to Adelaide in the south, you have to go through there. There's literally one highway, the Stuart Highway, that, that travels down through the centre of Australia. So um, that's one of the points that you would go through. So, yeah. You get a lot of tourists coming through there? Very much so, yeah. If you were to travel to uh, Ayers Rock or the Olgas, which is a a common uh, tourist destination, you have to go through Alice Springs pretty much unless you fly directly in. And so when you finished school, um, you went to the Army, right, at a pretty young age? Can you talk about that experience? Yeah, um, that actually came out of an ultimatum between me and my mother. Uh, my parents had separated at that stage, so we were living with my mum. My sister joined the police force, so she moved out and moved up to Darwin, so it was just me and my mum. And I was in my last year of uh, school, and I wasn't doing very well, <laughs> not, uh, not really attending more of a social scene for me as opposed to an educational experience. And I said to my mum that I wanted to, you know, stop going to school, basically. So she gave me the ultimatum and said, look, if I uh, get a job, if I get a good solid job by the end of that year, then I'm good to go. Um, but if I didn't, I had to go back and retake the last year of school. So that kind of lit a fire under me to go out and try and find something. And uh, yeah, I ended up joining the army. Um, I was under 18 at the stage, so I had to get my mum's signature to, to join. Uh, so early, early in my life. Um, yeah, and pretty much shipped away, went to basic training. Um, at that point... Um, I moved on to infantry as my core. I uh, went to the School of Infantry and trained there for 12 weeks and then was posted up to Townsville, which is on the East Coast uh, in Queensland, uh, to my first unit. Okay. Yeah. And uh, how long were you in the Army? And did you? what were some of the experiences you had? While, yeah, while I, uh, I did just over 10 years uh, in, uh, in the 1st Battalion. I was there in that same unit for the, for the whole time. Um, deployed a couple of times with the Australian Army. We went to uh, a place called East Timor or Timor-Leste, it's called now. Um, Where is that at? That's uh, it's, it's, it's north of Australia and it's uh, borders with Indonesia. It used to be part of Indonesia and then they uh, went autonomous. Uh, during that period, there was a lot of civil unrest. Um, and being the largest nation in that area, Australia was deployed with regard to their military to try and uh, work under the United Nations and do peace peacekeeping operations there. So I did two trips there, six months each, um, working under the United Nations. I actually got out of the Army the year before my unit went to Iraq, so I missed that trip. That was good timing. Um, yeah, well, it depends on which way you look at it. As a military guy, we want to deploy. Uh, we want to, um, you know, use our skills that we've been trained to do, and it's almost like... Uh, you know, training for the soccer grand final or the NFL Super Bowl and never being able to play. That's that's the kind of the way we look at it. Um, so, yeah. What what rank did you get to? 
Uh, I made the rank of corporal. Um, so that is a section commander within the Australian Army. Um, I was due to move on to sergeant, but uh, my 10 years came up. I took my long service leave and thought, you know, shall I stay in the Army and continue this this path or should I try something new? And I actually discharged at that point in time, got out. Right. What do, what do you do as section commander? What does that role entail? Uh, in an infantry unit, you have... Uh, uh, the battalion itself, then you have companies, and then you have platoons, and then you have sections. So it breaks down through those groups. Uh, basically, a section commander is in charge of about nine guys, and they work independently um, as sort of a fire fire team, fire fire and movement team. So, uh, as a section commander, you're in charge of those nine guys. Okay. So, so once you left the army, what was your next move? Yeah, I uh, took a little bit of time off with a long service leave. Uh, in the Australian Army, you get three, either six months half pay or four, uh, three months full pay. So I took the three months uh, full pay and discharged after that. So I had a little bit of time to think about what I wanted to do. After about two weeks of sitting on the couch, I decided I wanted to go <laughs> and do something. Uh, so I actually took on a job in construction, uh, just sort of laboring and stuff like that. Um, and then a lot of my friends at the time, ex-military guys, were, were moving to Iraq or going to Iraq, uh, moving into the private security sector, which was kind of booming at that stage. So I started looking there. Um, and then, yeah, midway through 2006, I got my first contract in Kabul, Afghanistan, uh, working at the United States Embassy, funnily enough, on their emergency response team. Wow. So 2006, you said, so I guess five years after 9-11... What, uh, was there still a lot of military activity going on in Kabul at that time? Yeah, Kabul was fairly light on with regard to the threat uh, signature there. Um, there was a lot of fighting going on in the, s- uh, the south of the country, uh, Helmand province mainly. Uh, but in Kabul itself, it was, it was pretty safe. Um, yeah, I worked for a company there that was basically a bridging contract uh, to... Uh, secure the U.S. Embassy, um, quite a large contract with expatriates. Not a lot of Americans, funnily enough, at mm-hmm. that time. A lot of uh, Brits, Aussies, uh, New Zealanders, um, South Africans, uh, and then a Nepalese Guard Force as well, Gurkha Guard Force, and then you have the local National Guard Force as well. So fairly high security for a large, large uh, embassy building, yeah. So, uh, what type of work did you did did you do specifically was for security in the U.S. Embassy? Yeah, so we uh, we the guard force was in charge of the, out, the the outer perimeter. So I actually started on the the hard points, so checking IDs of vehicles coming in and out of the the embassy itself. Um, um, I was qualified as an EMT, so uh, emergency medical technician, um, and then I moved on to the emergency response team uh, which is basically a quick reaction force Uh, they have a medic they have a team commander um, and a couple of other guys about a five-man team that basically sit in an armored vehicle and wait for something to go wrong Mm. Uh, they're the uh, the first line of defense and obviously if we have any incidents like uh, people getting injured or or casualties then they would respond so yeah i moved on to that team which was really good what was it like living in Afghanistan, um, it 
took a little bit to get started to, to, to get accustomed to. I think when you're working in that environment, you're, uh, well, I know for myself, you're working that often that you kind of put the lifestyle in the back of your mind. You just, you're there to work and you concentrate on doing your job well. So um, it takes a little bit of adjustment. Um, we were on that contract in a, a big sort of armored compound, if you will. Um, and we had two, two guys to a room. Uh, so I had multiple different roommates, um, some of which are my best friends today. Um, so yeah, living in those close quarters is actually something that being from the military, you're very familiar with. So it's, it's nothing really new as long as the food's good, the pay's good and the, uh, they have a good gymnasium. (laughs) We're all pretty happy. So, yeah. Did you get a chance to get outside the compound, interact with locals, make friends with locals, or were you mostly inside the compound there? Yeah, we, uh, we traveled from our compound to the embassy building every day. Um, freedom of movement outside of that was actually pretty good in those, those early days, 2006. It was, we could, you know, grab a vehicle and, and drive into town on our own if, if we wanted to. Um, so it was pretty, pretty flexible. Yeah. Uh, we were going to local restaurants. Um, yeah, bars. There's this kind of not seen hidden, uh, expat community in, in places like Kabul, um, that you don't really hear about until you sort of go out and experience it. So yeah, there was a lot of freedom of movement in the early days, uh, not so much these days, but it's, it's a really interesting dynamic cause you've got these, you know, you've got freelance journalists, uh, photographers, you've got media, um, you know, United Nations security guys, military, you've got just this hodgepodge of people from different backgrounds all sort of clammed into this um, melting pot, so to speak, of of people. So, yeah, Yeah. a lot of fun, actually. Yeah, Yeah, so I think a lot of of Americans would probably tend to think that living in Afghanistan during that time period would be scary. Um, But it sounds like you didn't have that type of experience at all. It was actually rather pleasant. You enjoyed yourself and didn't really feel endangered on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, and I think also depending on your role, um, you know, being there as a security guy, you're, uh, you, you know, you're, you've got your finger on, your, on the pulse, so to speak, with regard to intel. You know what's right. occurring. You know, you, we were carrying weapons. So, you know, you kind of have this acceptance that, you know, you're in a potentially dangerous environment um, and you weigh up the risks and you either stay inside the compound or you take the risk and, and go out. And there's always a risk there yeah. involved, but I mean, there's a risk in, in San Francisco, you know, I could get hit by a car walking home tonight. That's wood. true. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's just one of those should things. should have said I could have got hit by a car walking here. <laughs> yeah. And, and then thought about the that would have been gone. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think you, you, you make that assessment, you make that, you know, um, you accept that risk, so right. to speak. Yeah. All right. So we followed your path now from Australia, Australia to Afghanistan. Yep. Um, so what ultimately led you to stop doing that type of work and come to the U.S.? Yeah. So I had moved. Um, uh, I was out in Afghanistan for about eight years, I think, in the end. Um, my first contract there was the U.S. Embassy. I then moved on uh, as a security project manager. Uh, for USAID, uh, basically they have an air wing in the country that 
they worked out very quickly that driving people around is very expensive. So it actually pays to uh, fly people. So they had an air wing, but uh, that had helicopters and a couple of small fixed wing aircraft. So I was the project uh, security project manager for that. Um, and I worked there doing that role. And while I was actually there, the social scene that we spoke about last time, I was out at a United Nations barbecue of all places. And I met my now wife, uh, who uh, grew up in Marin, uh, hence why I'm here in San Francisco now. But yeah, we met at a barbecue and, um, I guess the rest is history, so to speak. But yeah, that's why I ended up finishing up there. It's kind of a young man's game. You can't, uh, run those those long contracts you know working right. eight months away each year uh very long and still hold a successful relationship right um so yeah my beautiful wife brought me brought me to the bay area which is what was she doing out there she was uh working as an operations manager for a usaid contractor okay uh so usaid obviously have a a decent pool of money to uh, allocate to different projects around the world um, and a lot of the time they don't have the facilities or the infrastructure to sort of disperse those projects so they contract those out um, so she was working for a, a company doing that which uh, they were doing like economic growth uh, helping small business in Afghanistan and trying to uh, create some revenue there for the for the country which was really good so okay two ends of the world and we met in a war zone so yeah, that's how it works sometimes. Yeah, it certainly does. It certainly does. So love brought you to the U.S. Yep. Um, what was it like when you got here and uh, what type of work did you get into at that time? Yeah, well, we met back in 2008 um, and I came to San Francisco for the first time that year um, and uh, met my now in-laws, my wife's parents and instantly really liked the place uh good friend friend base uh through my wife's friends at that stage so i was very welcomed here uh loved the weather loved the uh the feel for the the city um growing up in alice springs i was as far from the city as possible and i've never really been much of a city person but san francisco to me doesn't really feel like a you know a uh heavy city where you feel like you're stuck um, so yeah, it was instantly appealing to me and, um, yeah, then we, uh, we were married in 2012 and, uh, went through the whole green card process. I had to actually go back out of the country for about 10 months, um, until that was all cleared. And then, uh, last year I got my green card and, and here I am. Here you are. Yep. So let's start talking about Kokoda. Sure. Um, but first I want to, can you just give a, a summary of how you got going down this fitness and health path and then how you ultimately came up with the idea for Kokoda? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I guess, you know, growing up and then moving into the military straight away, uh, these are positions, you know, where you need to be physically fit. Uh, private security industry was no different. Um, so I've always been in a position where, you know, being physically fit is part of my job um, and then it just becomes part of your life. Uh, my last contract in, in Kabul was with the Australian Embassy and I was the team leader of a four-man uh, security team there um, protecting everyone from 
basically our ambassador down. Um, and once again, as a team leader, you're in charge of making sure those four guys in your team are, are physically capable and, and ready to do their job. So uh, I've always been interested in fitness um, and it's something that I personally enjoy. So while I was working at the Australian Embassy, I was thinking, you know, what's the next thing for me? Um, after being in the military so long, I didn't want to work for anybody else. I didn't want to be told what to do anymore. So I thought I would, uh, yeah, go out on my own and, and come up with a business idea based around uh, physical fitness. So that's where it kind of came about, the, the idea seeded. Um, and then... Uh, after coming to San Francisco, I sort of developed this idea that, you know, there's a lot of companies that really want to provide health and fitness to their employees, but maybe don't have the infrastructure, you know, a gym. Um, so I thought I'd go mobile. So that's what we did. Yeah, we made a mobile gym. Yeah. Okay. So tell us about that. Cause I think that's what's unique about your business. Um, yes. What do you mean by mobile? Well, we have basically a box truck. Um, which we call the mobile fitness vehicle. Um, it's decked out in the back with all types of equipment, uh, barbells, kettlebells. We've even got four rowing machines in the back there. Um, and the idea was to be able to bring that equipment to a location, uh, set it up in the car park or a nearby uh, area park and, uh, and run fitness sessions that you would expect to see in a gym. Um, so a lot of the boot camps you see, obviously around San Francisco, you know, it's, it's some guy working out of the back of his car with maybe a few dumbbells. We wanted to go one better than that. And, uh, that's why we developed, uh, the vehicle. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the concept. Um, two sides to the business. We do sort of the boot camp scene down at Chrissy field there, beautiful location in the mornings and afternoons. Uh, and you, enjoyed that workout the other day um it's it's a it's a great way to work out because you're uh, you're outside you're enjoying the fresh air and it's something that in san francisco we can really enjoy kind of year round um and then yeah the other side is bringing that vehicle to uh to businesses startups um small business medium business where once again they don't quite have that infrastructure but they want to provide um an easy turnkey solution to sort of employee wellness and fitness. Right. So tell me about how you took the idea to reality. And then I want to hear about what day one was like, what you consider your first day one of your official business. Yeah. So I, I was lucky enough working in the security industry, like we spoke about to, to have a fairly high rate of income. So I started saving. I, put away as much as I could. Um, I really didn't know whether the the business model was going to work. So the last thing I wanted to do is go and get, uh, you know, investors or a loan where I'm, I'm, I'm liable. So I basically raised the capital myself. Um, and then we was kind of waiting on the, on my green card process to be able to work in the U S. So once that came through, uh, I moved to the US, um, big transition there, moving, you know, from Australia and then giving up a, a solid career to, I guess, fulfill my dream. Right. <laughs> um, and yeah, I went about uh, building the truck, designing parts to the truck, uh, attaining all the equipment, 
learning about the legislation, insurance, uh, the whole works of starting a business. And then April last year, we, we had our first day, um, which I think was basically family and friends. Okay. <laughs> Coming down. And then we just... Down re- at uh, East Beach? Yeah, East okay. Beach and Chrissy Field. Um, and yeah, that was a great learning experience to test out the equipment, uh, test out my training methods um, to see how they would work. Um, and then just slowly over time, we, we started to get a, a little bit more of a following and um, we've just continued to try and do that, to try and through word of mouth, uh, local marketing, um, social media and the like, just getting exposure so that people can come and try us out. Right. So as you mentioned, I went down and uh, did my first workout with you. You did great. Uh, two days ago. <laughs> I survived. You survived. I'm still feeling it though. I'm you not going to lie to you. I'm feeling well, it in my legs for sure. That's a good sign that you, you worked hard. Yeah. That was good. Yeah. So, you know, the name of the class I went to was functional fitness, right? Correct. Um, yeah. Can you talk about what that class is and the type of workout you'll experience if you if you do that one? Sure. So we, uh, we kind of pride ourselves on utilizing all this equipment uh, obviously not all at once, but uh, over sort of different different workouts. So if, for example, you were to come down to Kokoda five days a week, every one of those days would be something different. Um, so, yeah, the workout that you were doing, we, uh, we utilized, you know, a 45-second uh, interval where you worked on a set uh, exercise for that 45 seconds and then you moved on to the next one. Um, so that's uh, basically uh, circuit training. Um, it can be called kind of lots of things, but uh, we're using different exercises at set periods. Uh, and the one that we did the other day was kind of an all body. So you're working on your biceps and we had the combat ropes out. And as you uh, feel with the sore legs, we did some squats and, right. uh, and uh, abdominals. So we, we try to target everything as opposed to being specific to, to one muscle group, so to speak. Yeah, well, I, I loved it. Um, it was, did feel like a complete total body workout. And, you know, I think, you know, I was thinking about this. Um, I go to the gym, you know, probably three times a week and um, do pretty much the same routine mm-hmm. that I've been doing for the last five years. Right. You know, so you I'm to used to those that. exercises. <laughs> right, I know. And, you know, that's one of the things I realized, you know, doing your workout is you're working all kinds of different muscles. I'm doing all kinds of activities I hadn't done before and just changing it up like that, um, made it so much more difficult and so much of a better workout for me than I've had in the past. Yeah. It's like anything. Uh, I always call it perishable skills. If you don't do something for a set period and then you go back to doing it again, it's always much more difficult. So if, if you are changing up the variety of your workouts, it's always going to be much better for you. Um, yeah, getting stale, as I call it, doing the same thing in and out. Your body actually gets used to that. It gets the muscle memory of doing the same thing every time. Right. Um, and it's not bad. It's better than doing nothing. Right. Um, and that's what I always say to people. As long as you're doing something, um, that's better than doing nothing and uh, just sitting on the couch. But we do want to shock the body and, and do different different movements. Um it's funny, as uh, we, we base a lot around the squat. The squat is a really functional movement uh, that we use day in, day out. Um, and I always say to people, it, it, once again, it's a perishable skill. And in the Western world, we use chairs a lot. We don't, mm-hmm. we don't tend to sit on the floor much. 
and then a lot of people around about the 70, 80 years old can no longer squat anymore because at one stage in their life, they just stopped squatting. Um, Afghanistan's a fine example. You see 80, 90-year-old men, <clears throat> pardon me, and women squatting because they don't use chairs. They squat daily. Um, they've never been to a 24-hour fitness. <laughs> yeah. They squat through necessity and because they do it so regularly, it's a skill that they will probably have until they die. So there, there's a fine example. Yeah, that's always something I've told myself is as long as I can do a squat, as long as I can go out and run three miles like every day, I feel like I'll always be able to do that and always be in like at least that level of shape my entire life. Exactly, yeah. It's funny, we, we pull, uh, you know, we used uh, skipping ropes the other day in a workout and uh, one of the the people attending said, oh, I haven't, I haven't oh, sorry, jump rope. We call it skipping mm-hmm. rope in Australia. Uh, jump rope. Um, yeah, one of the participants said, oh, I haven't been on a jump rope, you know, since I was in high school. And as it turns out, he was then terrible at it. <laughs> um, but after about, three or four one minute rounds you know he started to get it back again and it's the same thing and uh it's not that everybody needs to skip it just means that uh when you don't use that skill you lose it right yeah so it was you know it was obviously a great workout no doubt about that glad you enjoyed it but you know what i thought really made it unique and what i enjoyed the most about it was it felt like special being out there you know and that's maybe something that's something you experienced when you first moved to san francisco and we have such a beautiful city and i feel like anytime i'm near the golden gate where i have that bridge view or i'm on the golden gate you know some of those times i just have to pinch myself that i live here and i live in the city like i can see views that beautiful all the time and i mean you have a gym right next to christie field right next to the water, probably like 50 yards from the water. I came down for like your five o'clock class, Yep. um, which is right around the time the sun is setting. I got lucky and had the most crystal clear, beautiful evening you could imagine. We did. We had it. That was a good day. (laughs) And so we're sitting out there working out as the sun sets over the Golden Gate Bridge. And it just felt special being, I didn't feel like being at the gym. You know, I kept sneaking a peek over my shoulder um, to look at the bridge every chance I got, you know, when I got a chance to do some workouts facing the bridge, I would do that. So it just feels like a unique, special experience versus going to the gym that, you, that I think a lot of people probably can't get anywhere else. And so I loved that. Yeah, I think that's that's one of the key factors. Um, it, it always has me scratching my head when I see someone in the gym on a treadmill two blocks from Christie Field running on a treadmill. Yeah, it really baffles me that someone would replicate what they can do outside, inside on a machine. It's it's never really sunk in. Yeah, Yeah. but you're right. It's it's um, definitely uh, what we thought about with the with the business model is bringing that gym outdoors um, and going sort of one level, like I said, more than you would see in a boot camp. one of the favorite exercises I like to do is is the rowing machine or the erg. Uh, you get out there on the rowing machine and you look out over the water and mm. before long you look down and, you, you know, you've done a thousand meters. Um, mm-hmm. And exactly what you experience, you just end up having a really great time. You don't actually 
feel like you're working out, so to speak. Yeah. And it's great uh, publicity for you as well. I mean, I was watching every person that's down there walking their dog or going out for a run or like walking by. When they walk by, they're, they're checking that whole, your whole scene out. They're like, well, what is this? Trying to figure that out. You yeah, know, we get, get a lot of people. Gets the attention. Yeah, a lot of people coming up asking about the truck and, and, and what type of workouts we do. And um, it's definitely a great marketing tool. Yeah. Um, so what's your typical client, would you say? So when I was there, there were six of us. Yep. It was me and, and five attractive women. Is that, uh, is that one, the norm? One attractive guy and five attractive <laughs> women. <laughs> um, funnily enough, the the client base that we're seeing at the moment, uh, majority women. Yeah. Um, between, I would say, the ages of twenty mid, mid-20s. Um, I think the oldest lady I've got is about 69 or 70. So we've got a, a wide range, but uh, I think the majority are women between sort of 25 and 40. Yeah. Um, Why do you think that is? Really don't know, to be honest. That's an yeah. interesting question. Um, I, I find when it comes to physical fitness, uh, as guys, and I'm, I'm prone to this myself, don't like to be kind of told what to do, <laughs> whereas yeah. uh, women are very open to trying new things and and listening to what people have to say and then and then doing that um yeah it takes a little bit more for us guys to uh to go down and try something new but uh we're starting to see some some good male numbers come down in the classes and a lot of couples which is really great um allowing you know a couple to come down after their work day work out together uh enjoy their workout and then and then head home for the evening right yeah so one of the things I've read about when you're starting a business that already has a lot of people doing that business, right? Like for you, there's a ton of people out there doing fitness right now. There's, I would imagine, hundreds of fitness coaches in the city with all these kind of different programs. But you can still be successful doing that as long as you do something different, um, which you've obviously done. I've never seen a mobile truck like that. Um, bringing a you know a gym all over the city, and then number two, kind of interjecting your personality into the business that you do as well. How have you injected your personality into uh, Kakoda? Yeah, well, uh, I think I've you know shaped my style of instruction from pretty much the day I joined the army. Um, the military is is great in uh, teaching you skills like like instruction, um, and I've from early in my career in the military, really enjoyed um, instructing people, whether it be you know military courses or or uh, physical training like we're doing now. Um, and I think those experiences of of being in the army as well as being in the private security sector, um, doing personal training, um, and some other certifications that I've done, I've kind of shaped it. Uh, so that I, I grab the best bits from from each and try and utilize them in my training style each time. Um, so yeah, uh, I try and I try and inject that in in most of my classes, um, and and it, and it seems to be working well. So excellent. So what are your plans for growing the business 
from this point forward? Yeah, I definitely want to uh, to get more into the the corporate side of things. Uh, we have one solid corporate client that we're working with now. We we train with them three days a week, uh, pretty much over their lunch hour. So that allows the employees to just basically walk out of their office building, come straight out. We do a forty five minute to an hour workout. Um, they go back inside, have a quick shower, and then go back to work. So it's right there in the workplace. Um, so, yeah, getting out, um, getting some more business development with some uh, businesses in the Bay Area that are, are looking for, for that service. And, you know, they may not be in a position to uh, have that intra- infrastructure of, of setting up a gym, but they really do want to provide that. Um, and as, you, as you're probably aware, San Francisco is very, very good for that with mm-hmm. regard to the employees being being on top of things with regard to their employees and giving them uh, wellness options in the workplace, which is great. Right. So one of the things I think would be really rewarding about what you do is helping people achieve their goals. And there's probably, you know, there's tons of people that um, are struggling with, you know, their fitness level. Uh, maybe they're having a hard time getting going. Have you ever had a big success story? that comes to mind um, with a client? Yeah, yeah, I've had a couple. Um, one, only very recently, actually, uh, a session that I was doing last week with a corporate client. Uh, we were midway through the session, you know, having a bit of a laugh and, and talking about things. And one of my female clients um, said to me, you know, you should have seen the dress that I wore for the New Year's Eve party. You know, um, there's no way I would have fit in it without these sessions so that was that was kind of nice to hear um but yeah i did have a client um that we worked with for about four months uh and when she first came on uh she was well overweight uh she first thing she said to me is i've never done fitness in my life Mm. and for me that step right there for her to to come out with her workmates and show up is amazing it really is that um she took that step um so from then on we we continued to work with her and um as part of the part of the corporate um sessions we do some baselines to start with so we do a 1.5 mile run slash walk um and we record that time and then sort of at the end of our contract period we go and revisit um, these baselines and after four months, we revisited the 1.5 mile run walk and she shaved two and a half minutes off her time. Nice. And I was just super excited for her. I, th- I thought that's fantastic. Um, you think about how far you can walk in two and a half minutes. Um, so, yeah, that was really amazing to see. And just I think when people come for the very first time and you can tell that they are kind of going outside of their comfort zone in the first place to be there uh, and then they stick to it. I think, you know, that's one of the most rewarding parts of the job really. Um, And a lot of people say, you know, thank you very much, Nathan. And at the end of the day, I say, you did all the work. (laughs) Yeah. You did all the hard work. I was just here pointing you in the right direction. So uh, it's pretty inspiring to see. Let's talk about San Francisco a little bit. You've been living here now, what is it, three years? Uh, yeah, I've been permanently living here. Uh, I've been, yeah, we've been in our apartment for about four years. Okay. So, so what neighborhood do you live in in the city? We're neighbors. We're neighbors, uh, huh? Down on Chestnut Street. Yeah. Oh, excellent. 
So uh, awesome. yeah, in the marina. So where the hell do you park that truck down there? Um, <laughs> I have a permanent parking spot over on Treasure Island, but uh, we have a couple of locations around the marina where we, we park the truck. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, parking's an interesting one when your vehicle's 21 foot right. by 8 foot wide. <laughs> right. Um, but we seem to manage. So yeah, we, we, we're getting by. But yeah, I'm uh, marina in the what's, marina. Okay, so what's some of your favorite spots in the marina? Um, we love Chestnut Street. Um, our sort of weekend, uh, weekend get together is down at the chestnut bakery. We go down there and sit there and have our coffee. And especially if it's a nice day, you want to walk up and down. It's down Divisadero? the far end. Divisadero. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've never been there. I've, I've walked by. Yeah. Really nice people. Uh, they look after us. Coffee's great. It's really great. Um, they look after us in there. So yeah, we head in there, have a little coffee to start the day and then, usually go for a, a bit of a walk um you know you don't live in the marina district to like stay up in the streets you live here so you do have access to Chrissy field and walking out to hopper's hands at the uh, fort point um yeah and then sunday we'll usually head over the to the marid Henderlands or something that for, something like that for a hike or baker beach ocean beach right yeah what's some of your favorite restaurants in the hood um in the hood i can't remember the name of it but it's a vietnamese place down on pierce i think um, um on pierce between chestnut and lombard yep okay on the right hand side yeah i know what you're talking about i don't know the name of it it's yeah I don't, I don't have it on the top of my head but uh Ove or something like that not sure okay yeah, i'd be clutching it straws. i'll look it up and put it on the show notes yeah please do it's it that's a great spot you can always walk in there it's always nice fresh i mean vietnamese food is always nice and fresh right. and um light you know it's not not heavy on the stomach which is always good um one of our favorite restaurants is out of the marina uh over in mill valley which is the buckeye roadhouse that's i've been there once that's kind of our once. uh you know date night <laughs> location right. uh go and get a prime rib so yeah yeah that's a really really nice spot if you're uh, venturing out of the city it's a nice spot yeah any other um favorite neighborhoods in the city or favorite spots um we we have a lot of friends that live over in the mission so we we travel over there a fair bit um you know Fillmore and Divisadero are always good to to uh go for restaurants and the like so um yeah we venture up out that way um Every now and again, catch up with friends, but uh, none that none that sort of ring out. We we really wanted to live in the marina because it reflects our lifestyle. Being able to run out to the bridge and you know get on your mountain bike and you can actually ride to the marina headlands. Mm-hmm. I mean, where, where, what other city can you do that? It's amazing. Right. Well, I always end with this question: um, If you had to move away from San Francisco for some reason, uh, how would you spend your last day in the city? Um. Good question. I uh, I guess if I was moving away, I would be moving with my wife, so I wouldn't need to take her for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> so we would definitely spend some time with her parents over in Ross, um, catch up with friends, definitely take another walk down to uh, to Fort Point along, along the waterfront, and, yeah, maybe go to the Buckeye or... Uh, or just catch up with friends. Yeah, a location where we could fit all our friends in, yeah. like the uh, Presidio Social Club or something like that. Excellent. Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely get our last sort of 
good looks of the the bridge and along Christie Field and um, and yeah, let it all sink in. You know, I think uh, so. This is episode nine, uh, so I've asked that question to nine different people. Yep. And I think three of the people in their last day have said either a walk or a run down Christie Field just to like enjoy that view one more time. Yeah, I would definitely do that. I think it's part of my last day as well. I love it down there. Yeah, I'm the same, and uh, you know that's why I've parked my business down there so I can enjoy that daily. It's yeah. re- it's really nice. Does it ever get old? Is there ever a day you're down there and you don't look out over the bay and or look at the bridge? Not really. It, it's always changing. I think uh, people on my Instagram feed get annoyed at the amount of f- photos that I take. Oh, there's a cloud yeah. over the bridge. Oh, get, there's some fog over the bridge. Um, you get every sunrise and every sunset pretty yeah, much. What six days pretty a week, much. probably? Um, and yeah, no, I don't think it gets old. Even when it's raining down there, it's nice. Nathan has a great story and he has a great business. You should really check out Kokoda and go do a class. Uh, the first class is free, so there's absolutely no obligation whatsoever. Get on his website, sign up, and go check it out. I think it's perfect for those days where you really want an intense gym type of workout, or maybe you want to do some strength training, um, but it's too nice of a day to spend it inside. Well, you can do it. You can do those same things outside. Um, I'm looking forward to checking out one of his morning sunrise classes. That's next on my agenda for sure. So if you want to learn more about Kokoda and sign up for one of their classes, go to their website. It's kokodafit.com. That's K-O-K-O-D-A-F-I-T.com. And if you want to learn more about Nathan, come to my website. It's www.sfpeoplepodcast.com. From here, you can get a recap of the show and links to everything we talked about on the show. And if you want to reach out to me, feel free to send me an email. It's frank at sfpeoplepodcast.com. You can also check me out on Twitter. It's at SFPeoplePodcast. And you can follow us on our new Facebook fan page, San Francisco People Podcast. We'll be back in a few weeks with episode 10. I can't believe we're already at episode 10, but we'll talk to you then. I'm Frank Garza for San Francisco People. People.